more people do business. I believe business breeds business. So the more business you do, the more opportunity you have to breed more business elsewhere. So it's just putting people in that, giving them the best scenario to win. Like, you know, they always say a CEO's job is to like take care of their staff. They didn't to make the deal. It's to go make sure your staff can get the deal done. It's like you're equipping them. And I kind of view that's what that's what we do now in a lot of our businesses, especially our, our core group of partners. We're trying to equip our staff so that they can go win the business. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to have Nick on the show. And Nick is a man of so many talents and so many businesses. From the guy who manages 350 units, done over 500 flips as the Beers and Booze pod, or the, not the Beers and Booze podcast, the uh, uh, Brokers, brokers and Booze. Yeah, thank you. Uh, as well as an insurance agent, an athlete, like a robotics company. I mean, it's just like crazy what you're doing. Like I'm reading through the bio and it's like, holy moly. Like I was so floored and, and super excited to have this conversation with you. So thank you so much for hopping on. And take us into it right away. Like, I think a lot of people, when they see like guys that have like five or 10 businesses to their name, they're like, how in the world can they do this? But like, tell us a little bit about you. What role are you playing in these different businesses? Um, currently, I am kind of the, I, I would say it's a little bit admin, but it's networking. I do have an accounting degree. I do finance. I'm not a CPA, but I do um, kind of oversee a lot of the money, but also putting deals together. But more than putting deals together, it's putting people together. Um, most of all my companies, actually all my companies, I have partners in. So um, it isn't just one horse. I can tell you that. It's multiple. Yeah. So you you have all these companies, but you're kind of the center in the sense. So when you say networking, you're essentially bringing in people for the business. You're bringing in sales through the networking efforts. Is that is that accurate? You're bringing a lot of the revenue? Some of that. Well, yes and no. I would say I'm... I'm also, I, there's revenue I'm bringing in. I direct, but like each of our companies has somebody that's like responsible for the revenue. Like they are the person that's out there generating leads, generating business, making the direct sales. I'm not, I probably do more through relationship networking and be able to bring in more um, business to that through like, for example, I'm just gonna use our insurance agency. Um, I don't go out and write policies. I, um, I kind of help oversee the numbers, but I may network an agent with a mortgage lender that then refers them business. So that's the networking side. Like how do you piece people together to maximize business? I want to go crazy, crazy deep on this because like we've noticed through the podcast, a humongous value in networking, obviously clearly like your sole role in these scaling companies is networking. So what I hear you saying is that you do a lot of one to many type of activities, right? You're having a one-to-one -one conversation, but one with the intention of that person providing you many pieces of business. Yep. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, our goal in our companies is to build it that like, not only are we flipping a property, not only are we buying a rental property, but then we're touching every part of the transaction, whether it be insurance, whether it be managing the property, whether it be using that property to generate leads for my other real estate agents to go sell property um, to them. So yeah, we, how can we maximize every point of the process? It's almost a vertical integration, but not directly. So your one activity then is networking in that capacity, but you're networking for a lot of different entities that, that you're a part of. How do you keep yeah. people from seeing you as like the man that can sell you A, B, C, D, E, and F? I, it, it starts with the kind of old adage, 
people don't care what care about what you know until they know how much you care. Um, it's relationship based. Go build a relationship with the person first. Figure out how to bring them value before you even ask for something in return. And so once you build the requisite level of relationship, then a lot of times, like they'll try something with you, and if it goes well, then they want to give you all the business that they possibly can in all the sectors. Is that kind of been your experience? Yeah, it's like it, we have definitely seen that snowball effect where it's like you start out, maybe they're maybe we're managing their property, and then they call up and complain to me that their you know home, homeowners insurance went up. Oh, okay, well here, why don't you talk to this agent, my insurance agent, see if they can help you out there. I try to make stuff as authentic as possible rather than being salesy. So it's like when it naturally comes up in the relationship, not forcing, not even asking, honestly, usually they find out other ways. And then, then we have the opportunity to cross sell or cross bring them into the fold in more ways in our businesses. How do you structure, like, let's say you're starting a new business. How do you structure your networking activities? Well, as far as structuring, it depends on what it is, but most of them, I just, number one, it's um, social media is powerful. So any business I'm involved in, I'm going to promote it some way, which usually leads to the conversation with somebody. So they saw it, they saw it promoted, they saw it, me share it. Next time I see them out, maybe at a happy hour, maybe at, uh, you know, realtor networking event or something, they then come, they then bring it up more often than not than I do. So I don't have to, I don't like to be that front that I almost call it the car salesman approach. I don't like to go that route. I prefer to sit back and see for the opportunities to come to us, to our companies. Love this. And so you're promoting on social media. Like there's a book uh, called seven levels of communication that I read, you know, early on in my real estate career, that was really helpful. And that was kind of like more or less how to build your own B and I, um, do you kind of follow yep. similar things? Um, or like, like, do you have a certain number of meetings you try and have on a day or a week? How do you structure the activity of it? Yes and no. Yes, there's definitely, I, I front load my week with meetings, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, usually front load it. Um, and then obviously save Thursday nights seems to be in our area, a big night that a lot of networking events happen. So I'm out a lot of Thursday nights meeting people, but outside of that, it's like, like I said, it's natural in. I really do believe in this, The I call it authentic networking. It's like, you know, unfortunately, spend some time scrolling social media because you can find out, especially if you're friends with a lot of the people you do business with, you can see something going in their life, gives you a reason to touch them, not to sell to them, to touch them and just keep touching them, touching them. And let's be real. And I call it being a friend, not necessarily selling. So. And then, that, then obviously that snowballs, right? You're consistently in these people's lives. You're yep. providing value. You're connecting, you're connecting, you're connecting. Um, and yep. so when did you guys decide, like, I mean, are the partners in one business the same as all the businesses or do you have different partners in each business? There's different, there's crossovers across them. There's different ownership percentages. It kind of, it grew out of, we started as just flippers. And then we had opportunity to buy this one office space. And I'm like, if we buy this, it's actually on a resort in Myrtle Beach. So we're like, it only makes sense for us to have our own brokerage then. So then it's like, then we started, we started, we already accumulated a lot of properties. We're like, why are we not managing our own properties? So then we started doing that. And it just kept snowballing, believe it or not. <laughs> and to the point where it's like, we, there wasn't a set plan to get in all these companies. It happened naturally over time. 
So I interviewed a guy named Joshua Wilson a few months back, and he kind of described his vertical integration path as like anytime he was spending $150,000 on a particular vendor or service, it was time for him to build a business or to buy a business. Do you guys kind of have like a similar type of thought process as to when you vertically integrate? Yeah, talent. Interesting. People driven. Need I need a point person in each company. That's like, that's the expert on that. You know, the guy that runs our insurance agent, expert in insurance, knows the ins and outs, compliance, everything. He's an expert in that. Um, rental management, you know, our team that runs that, they know rental management. They understand it. So it isn't actually a dollar amount definition or something like that. It's more of a, hey, what people have come into our lives that are experts that can help us. And as soon as you encounter an expert in a field that you guys are not in, but obviously, as long as it's vertically aligned, then you just figure out a way to bring in other money partners or whatever it's going to take to create a business out of it. Yeah, it's more like, yeah, exactly. And it's like, hey, we enjoy being, it's always relationship first. I'd say everybody I'm in business with, I've had a relationship with first before we got in business together, a friendship. And it's like, hey, we spend enough time talking naturally. And then it's just like, hey, why don't we just combine some efforts, make this happen? It seems like it's a good fit. Then we just dive in, two feet in, go. <laughs> What have what have been the benefits of of scaling these businesses? The benefits of scaling. Oh, I mean, obviously, money. hey, you guys are freedom chasers, podcast. Yeah. So it's obviously money, so that you can live the lifestyle you desire. But more than that is, I um, I go back. A lot of people have always quoted this to many different people, but it's like help enough people achieve their dreams, and you'll achieve yours. And I just. I just can't do the lone wolf. It's like being a business should be fun. Business to me is people. It's like, I, I always joke that like I, some people are like, Hey man, I want to succeed. I want to go, I want to build this biggest thing and I own it and I own it all myself and stuff. And it's like, no, I sit there and look at like my three or four best friends. And I'm like, dude, if I made it and I had complete financial freedom, but these guys don't, and they just have to grind when they're 45 years old, 50 years old, whatever. Well, that ain't fun because then I can't call them up. Hey, let's go play golf on a Wednesday. No, I want, I don't, I would leave some on the table to have the people around me succeed. Amazing. And how many partners do you guys generally have in a business, right? It's going to be you, it's going to be the operator, usually, you know, three or four people. Yeah, two, yeah three or four. Um, the biggest one's probably five right now. So um, we usually don't like to go much above that. I mean, then meetings become crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you got to have some consensus and come focus now, obviously oper as opportunities exist, we may change that or may, I mean, we, we're, we're talking right now about how to even more bring stuff maybe in, as opposed to operating them each separately under more of a corporate umbrella to potentially build a more legacy, something that could be passed to the next generation. That could be a way for maybe the law, f I have an idea, we haven't been able to execute it, but I have an idea of like the law firm concept where the partners draw, buy in and then start to become as they build up, like, could you do that in the real estate space as opposed to being in, you know, a professional, like a accountants, lawyers or something where they buy in as partners with a buy-in amount and then they start to own part and share in the benefits of the company. I'm like, could we build something like that big enough that we could do that one day? I'm like, that sounds intriguing to me, like a challenge. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you're, if you're talking about the flipping business, so basically you've got a business, you've got capital coming in, it, it functions much more like a standard corporation. And then people come on and say, hey, you've got like a five-year vesting period. And at that point you become eligible to become a partner and then you get some equity stake. 
Yeah. But what if I had a corporate animal of all the companies under them that were going that way? Yeah, the family of companies. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just buying into the flipping business. It's buying. You're buying in. You're buying into everything. You're buying into the animal, the whole soup to nuts. Well, I mean, that's like a kind of. It's a challenge (laughs) to think through. It's a goal. It's a goal of mine at some point in my life to pull this off. Yeah, and so it's almost like at that point the parent company is is like the main thing right because it's interesting because like every business will have different metrics they'll have different profitabilities they'll have different everything and so essentially at that point it would be your vision that they would buy into the parent company correct absolutely yeah that's so fascinating um so like obviously this has evolved like what was the things that you did to get so much volume on the on the residential the flipping side the flipping side. So obviously, um, we started in 2011. I started with these guys in 2011. There's probably more. Um, the guys I was doing it with loosely were doing it before then. But it was um, obviously foreclosure auctions. Um, living in a tourist town like Myrtle Beach, there's a lot of people that just let properties go. So there was a lot of distressed real estate that opened the doors. And then you started, you know, just even in the flipping, you had to add who are my guys repairing the property? Who are my guys taking care of stuff? Who's, how are we selling it? What, who, who has the real estate license? Who's handling that part of the business? And we just kept, um, it's almost like every month it was like, wow, here's more opportunity, more opportunity. Then one of my business partners, he lives for deal making. That's what he does. He, and when he wakes up in the morning, he's like, I give this guy a ton of credit because he would get on the phone with the teller at a bank and just start talking his way clear up till he has the senior VP of special assets. And the next thing I know, we're buying a portfolio of properties off of him. And he just literally talked through every gatekeeper he possibly could. And he is tenacious about it. He does not give up when he gets his focus on something. So very blessed to have him as a partner. Very, um, and it's just neat because it's like each partner in our business has different strengths, different lanes we stay in. So it allows he has the freedom to go do that. And I'm like, Hey, that's what I want you doing all day. Plus you love it. I mean, so it makes it real easy from that standpoint. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality situation and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. And so this is obviously what gave you guys some scale, right? So instead of doing the onesie twosies, you're now buying, you know, large, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 plus portfolios. 
Yeah, we would do that. And we would also buy, I mean, but we were still buying the single, I mean, we, we buy a lot, lot down at the bottom for like 10 grand at the foreclosure auction, like one single lot. And like, okay, we go figure out what we're going to do with that. This, this lot's below cost to make the lot. I mean, to put it on the ground. So we're like, this is like, we should have kept them all. Honestly, (laughs) we flipped out of so many of them. We're like, why didn't we keep those? Why didn't we keep those? But yeah, that, and then we got into note purchases as well. Completing foreclosures, deed and lose ourselves. Like we just, we went down the the distress, then created the avenue to build the other companies. If that makes sense. Um, so, has it been a fairy tale? Um, have there been any partners that that you've brought on that it hasn't worked out? Actually, um, the when I I you when I first partnered up with these guys, there were three of them, and I became the fourth partner. And about a year or so later we split ways from one of the partners. Um, so no, it hasn't always been easy. It's um, when you, when partners don't get along, it's frustrating. <laughs> and, and it's really takes, um, it really takes a lot of humility on even my part as a, at that point as like the youngest partner in to say, step back and be like, okay, I don't want to, I'm not trying to make enemies here, but obviously I have to make a decision and I'm, you know, and I was, but in the sense, these guys were all about 10, 12 years older than me when we started. So, um, I was, I, you know, now I'm 42 today. So I'm kind of in the middle range of our partners. We got some older and now we have, we have, we have a 28 year old with us now. That's a partner. So we kind of, we keep, we keep rolling. And that's, that's kind of where the dream of being able to have a legacy, something to pass down started getting in my head. Like, Hey, why do we just have to sell everything and take cash? We still got to make the cash work. So why can't we build a business model where it can be passed and new generations run the companies? And one of the challenges too, as you get into a multifamily type situation is, you know, how those families start to take it on. Like, what, what are your thoughts initially on that? Like, I mean, you know, give us like, how many kids do you have? And like, how do you see that playing out? I have one, he's four years old right now. So we got, we got started late in life. So um, it's, I don't know. I mean, I'm also truly believe in, I'm a true capitalist at heart. So I'm like, if he doesn't show it or doesn't have it, it's like, it's not getting handed to you. So I was like, I kind of, I have this joke. So obviously in living in Myrtle Beach, and I'm sure a lot of people in your podcast have heard like timeshare is a big industry down here. We're not in that. I have no desire to get in that, but I give credit to these people that go out and like are selling it and trying to wave the people in and getting them to go in for the program stuff. Cause I was like, you learn skill sets like rejection. You learn how to talk to people. So I had this joke that I was like, if my son really wants to go into business, I was like, when he turns 18, before he goes to college, he's got to spend one year selling timeshare to learn rejection, learn all those qualities in life that you don't learn in college. You don't learn in a book. So <laughs> I was like, I want him to learn how to sell. I want him to learn how to approach people to have confidence. Yeah. And I figure that I, those guys down here, I'd say portray that the most to the general public that walks by. Yeah. And so this is actually a really interesting conversation to have, which is like legacy and passing legacy down. So you mentioned the idea that you're not going to pass it down to your kid if he's not capable of handling it, which I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in that, right? Because you could hand it to him and then it'll all get blown up. Um, So do you see yourself then like appointing a a manager and siphoning uh, or not siphoning, but like, you know, doing like paying them out, like on a monthly, like how, how do you, you know? yeah. 
It would definitely be something like that. It'd be like if, if my son didn't have the skill set one day, I would definitely put it in like, hey, like we have a 28-year-old as a partner now. It's like, okay, next generation coming up that's running the companies, maybe not the exact same way we do, but has the goal, the drive, the hunger to grow these things and just keep keep putting people in that position. And if my son didn't have it, it's like, yeah, you may benefit from the financial, but control-wise and running day-to-day operations, no, I would be like, I would never... I, I think that's a big mistake family businesses make. And and full disclosure, I grew up with a dad and stepdad to each own their own businesses and sold them multiple times. So I watched it. And my dad was business partners with his brothers, like true family business. My stepdad was more of a lone wolf. So I got to see it firsthand how family business works. And I'm like, uh-uh, I would never saddle my businesses with a, a family member that's not going to perform in a role they shouldn't be in. Yeah, it causes so much hardship. And I think about that because it's like my wife, like she stays at home with our kids and that's what she wants to do. So like if I die, like her coming in the business is going to be not good for the business partners and not good for her. Um, You know, so yeah, yeah, I could, I could resonate on that. So kind of give us the progression, like what business came first, what came second, what came third? So it was the flipping and then we were just straight flippers. Like, Hey, we're buying at the courthouse. We're buying off banks. We're buying off anybody that just wanted to get out of the property. We built out the re- doing the renovations and repairs, but the beautiful thing about Myrtle Beach is there's so many oceanfront condos. So you have a box, easy rehab, easy flip. Sometimes didn't even need really rehabbed at all. You could just turn around and re- resell it. So we started with that. Then a couple of them we started buying and we're like, man, this generates this rent. Why sell it? Let's just keep it. And we were using um, private capital that we still use to this day. And then we went and said, well, let's just put bank funding on it. So we roll it off the private capital. So we still have access to all the private capital. So that led into that. Then, like I said, we had the opportunity to buy. It's actually the office space my office sits in today at a resort. And we were like, well, if we're going to be there, we're going to have buyers walking into the res- from the resort. Like we're going to have true buyers. We're going to have people that own the condos here wanting to sell. Why would we have our license hung with another brokerage when we could just have our own brokerage? So we started our own brokerage <laughs> to to. You know, and I like that because we needed office space anyway. So now I have office space that actually generates revenue for me through the brokerage sales on this site here. Um, and then we went to the next step. We got into it a little while longer and then we're like, let's, we started hiring some more staff. We had some assistants and stuff. We're like, why are we, let's just start managing our own properties, bring them in. And then we had a um, moment where our, um, a f- good friend of mine, one of my co-hosts on the other podcast, Brokers and Booze, they, he um, had a rental management company that his dad started back in 2001. It's for years. So this is like 20, probably 17, 18. And he came, he approached me and he's like, hey, you guys have all these vacation properties you're managing. You have some long-term. I got this book of business. Why don't we combine our rental management companies into one bigger entity for cost savings, share staff, and also in doing that, now we have two brokerages sending leads to the rental management company. So it just made sense. Then we started doing that. Then during that time frame, he had an insurance agent that was getting out of the business that rented space in his office. And he brought to me and said, hey, this guy's going to sell his book of insurance business. Fortunate for us, one of my good friends recently switched jobs in insurance, wasn't happy. He's like, man, I'm looking for an opportunity. I was like, like. Stuff just kept aligning. All right, we'll go fund this book of business 
And when we fund this book of business, we will, um, you come in, partner, we'll work out a deal for you to come into the company and then we'll run it. You know what I'm saying? Like we'll, we'll, we'll have an insurance agency. So then we had that. So it just kept going. And then through that, just even relationships and stuff, I think I shared with you, like my one friend, he has a dream of a robotic arm tattoo company for spray on tattoos. So he needed some capital. We went and raised some capital for him. He's still working through the whole venture, raising money, bringing it. He has a full pro working prototype at this point that he's taking the market. We funded that. So I got in that a little bit. And another friend that where I was working out with had an opportunity. He's like, man, I need some, I need some knowledge. He's like, I know training really well, but running this gym's trouble. Can you get, will you guys invest in that? Invested in a gym <laughs> where I was working out at anyway. So I was like, okay, this kind of makes sense. So it just kept each time, just something aligned to keep going that we started bringing all these companies together. And we were like, man, this just makes sense to, to, to eventually start just like, Hey, how do we just vertically integrate more? How do we share costs more? How do we share back office? How do we do all that? Which brings to the more corporate structure we were talking, but yeah, it went from 2011 up until today. And even today, we're still looking at opportunities um, within different businesses and realms. So. so obviously the real estate fueled all of this, which is so fantastic, right? I mean, cause that's what this is all about. Freedom, yeah. freedom to do the things that you want to do. Yeah. Real estate's obviously a big part of our lives. So now you're kind of almost into the little bit of like the angel investing, startup investing world. Mm -hmm. Like I think of Shark Tank and the, they say yeah. most of their businesses that they invest into fail or don't produce a great return. As you started branching out, like how has it gone so far? Um. Oh, it's been, oh, that's the part that I've learned the most. <laughs> I won't lie. Like, like it's, you got to understand who you're investing in. You got to understand the expectations. You got to like, you got to really pay attention to people's strengths. Like the, my first couple of angel investments like that. I mean, we're, we're still in them. We're still doing it, but it's not, um, it didn't, it never goes as you expect it, but it's definitely been something <laughs> where it's been learning how to how to vet, how to actually analyze the deal more. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm so much wiser today having this experience of just constantly feeling this struggle and pull, but at the same time, being friends with these guys, like it is, some of that part's tough. Um, having hard conversations with your friends isn't always easy, <laughs> so. Amazing, and so just to recap, because I think this is so valuable, like as we've experienced the benefits of the podcast, I mean, you really have built these businesses off of just continuing to place all of your attention on the building of relationships as the primary function for all aspects of the business. Correct. Absolutely. Um, to the point where it's like, uh, yeah. And, and you were kind of saying we started off early on in the networking and how I network and stuff. Well, how we as company network is like, when we throw our Christmas party every year, we don't just invite our staff and the, all these companies. We invite the vendors, the other people we do business with. We invite some of even owners of properties we manage. We bring different people together. And it just, back to the authentic, it just authentically happens. Like people just network. I get meet somebody there, then they give them a shot at business. And it's like, and it's like creating the atmosphere for um, more people to do business. I believe business breeds business. So the more business you do, the more opportunity you have to breed more business elsewhere. So it's just putting people in that, giving them the best scenario to win. Like, you know, they always say a CEO's job is to like take care of their staff. They didn't to make the deal. It's to go make sure your staff can get the deal done. It's like you're equipping them. And I kind of view that's what 
that's what we do now in a lot of our businesses, especially our, our core group of partners. We're trying to equip our staff so that they can go win the business. What are some of the mistakes that you guys have made in scaling multiple companies that our real estate investors that are starting new ventures can learn from? Oh my, I'll say this, especially in the real estate world, it's um, obviously you can always buy the bad deal. We all know that you take that loss that way. Um, we've had properties where we should have cut and took the loss early that we didn't. That's, that's, we got a death of a thousand cuts instead of just, instead of just taking that, taking that hit right off the get go and moving on to the next deal. Um, but probably in scaling some of these, it's definitely the chat, probably the biggest challenge is setting expectations. Um, and understanding your partner's expectations, because they may not be the same as you when you go into a business. Um, Someone may expect this is going to be a hyper growth company where I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be just slow and steady. It's a snowball. It's going to take a while. And if one partner's expecting that, they're getting frustrated with who's running the company, the staff of that company, why another partner may be like, man, this is rocking along great. So you really have to have, you re we didn't do enough of that early on um, in all those companies, maybe our brokerage, our insurance agency, our rental management. We did not sit down and talk about what each partner's expectations were. That's probably something I've learned. I would encourage anybody in partnerships, like when you going into a business, start a new one, say, what is your expectation? What do you expect this to look like in one year? What do you expect this to look like in five years? What do you expect this to look like in 30 days, 60 days? Because it's, it, it's, it would have saved us a lot of battles back and forth. Um, and we may have structured stuff differently. We may have structured ownership differently had we understood different partners' expectations early on. Yeah. Where do you see yourself heading the next 12 to 18 months? Um, 12 to 18 months. Um, probably, like I said, we're definitely in a place right now where we're talking about bringing more of the stuff under one umbrella right now. So I see us bringing it more together. Um, then I, I'm guilty of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one of my weaknesses that I have to get better at. And it's um, staff development on a more personal development level. Like, hey... I need to start investing in my staff beyond the um, just expecting them to do their job better, but helping them. What are your goals in life? How do you become better? How do you, what's going to give you more fulfillment in life? Um, I got to really start to think about how to implement that, which will cost me money in the short term, but I think it's going to be payoff spades in the long term. Um, but yeah, I think, plus, I think it's going to pay off spades just in what, seeing the joy of watching someone grow, watching somebody become better, watching somebody take on a role they may not even expect to have the op opportunity to today, but as they grow, giving them the, that opportunity. Incredible. Nick, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business. For those of you out there listening, like he's given us a blueprint here. He's built multiple, multiple businesses with just using great partnerships, great networking. So you can learn a lot from that. I mean, a lot of people I see are struggling to build these businesses and they're doing it all on their, their own or they're bringing in the people and it's just not working. Here's an example of a model that's worked really well. So write down something you learned from today's episode. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. This freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 